Recently, the people of Chile rejected a new constitution. I had been meaning to peel the history behind this news for some time. If you listen closely, you'll realize why the timing of this episode, just after our midterm elections here in the U.S., makes so much sense. And the Cold War creates uh, this dichotomy, this polarization between the left and the right, uh, actually, because Allende was not as radical as other sectors within his coalition. He was, so he was trying to balance this uh, radical and more moderate sector within the Unidad Popular right. What happened is that during the, the government, we have uh, several factors that increase the level of polarization. Uh, Sebastián Piñera. So you have, yeah, a swing, uh, like um, a pendulum uh, going mm-hmm. back and forth from, since then, from a social democrat uh, kind of policies toward a right wing. The, the indigenous rights, the, the idea of nationhood, this idea of plurinationalistic uh, way of thinking of the state uh, will divide us. It's not the Chile is one nation. It's not, we are not a set of several nations with the indigenous. Yeah. So we are only one nation. So uh, the conservative um, argument was very effective uh, and mobilized uh, a lot of people. Did you know that Chile had a relatively long history of established democracy before the 1973 coup d'etat that installed Pinochet as the head of the military junta? Remarkably, Chile returned to democracy. This accomplishment, this national triumph, took place in spite of highly polarized politics. Hey there, news peelers. Today is November 11, 2022. And this is Adele, the host of the History Behind News podcast. Once a week, I have the pleasure of speaking with distinguished professors and critically acclaimed authors from around the world who help us better understand our news and current events by providing some perspective from our past. We call this peeling the history behind news, the histories of many countries we read, watch, and hear about in our news media. For example, whole series on Ukraine's, Iran's, Russia's, and China's histories. And of course, several series on the U.S. economy, culture, politics, environment, science, and much more. I'm committed to making in-depth history that are researched and written by scholars, enjoyable and accessible to everyone. So grab a cup of coffee or your favorite drink and let's get into it. In 2020, an overwhelming majority of Chileans voted in favor of a new constitution. But then, in September 2022, two years later, they overwhelmingly rejected that new constitution. So what happened? Market economy, corruption and large business collusion, deferential treatment of the elite, government assistance and subsidized programs, pension systems, income inequality, ethnic justice, and indigenous conflicts, and many more grave social and other issues dominate Chile's politics. Undoubtedly, many of these discussions and disagreements resonate with our own politics and political divisions here in the U.S. 
Comparing two countries with vastly distinct histories and markedly different institutions <laughs> doesn't really work. Even highly regarded scholars botch these comparisons from time to time, or at the very least, they do an incomplete job of it. So, I'm not about to attempt it here either. The only point I wish to convey is that Chile's remarkable economic rise and its enduring democracy as a whole is a triumphant story. And if they can close the chasm between the polar opposites of their politics, then the continuation of their success story will be a beacon of hope not just for their neighbors such as Brazil and Argentina, but also for us here in the US. Chileans can show us, in fact, they have shown us, that while messy, democracy works. It must work, because it's hell of a lot better than the alternative. One major difference between us Americans and Chileans is that they experience the alternative. They live through the brutal repression of the Pinochet years. So they appreciate, viscerally appreciate, the true value of freedom and how precious it is. To better understand Chile's history, I had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Claudio Fuentes, who joined me in conversation from Santiago, Chile. Dr. Fuentes is a professor at the School of Political Science at the Diego Portales University in Chile. His academic interests focus on the study of political processes in Chile and Latin America, and in recent years on the study of the dynamics of institutional change. Among his many other recognitions, Dr. Fuentes won the award for the best doctoral thesis awarded by the American Political Science Association, and he is a Luxic Fellow at Harvard University. In Chile, he was a member of the Presidential Anti-Corruption Advisory Council in 2015. He is an associate researcher at the Center for Intercultural and Indigenous Studies and coordinates the Constitutional Laboratory at Diego Portales University. To learn more about Dr. Fuentes, you can visit his academic homepage, the link for which is provided in the detailed caption of this episode. So, stay with me as Dr. Fuentes and I peel the history behind this news. Dr. Fuentes, it is a pleasure to have you on our program. Thank you for taking the time for this conversation with me. Sure. Most Americans here who are somewhat familiar with South, uh, South America's history and politics know about Salvador Allende, Chile's president from 1970 to 1973, and the coup d'etat that ended his presidency and his life. What intrigues me, Dr. Fuentes, is this. Before Allende, Chile had several decades of democracy, maybe imperfect, but still democracy nevertheless. So how could a coup happen in 1973? Uh, didn't Chile have strong civil institutions to prevent that from happening? Yeah, I think that we need to go back a little bit of what was going on in, in Chile um, uh, during the previous two or three decades. Uh, because first you have a structural, very uh, deep structural changes during particularly the early uh, 1960s. Uh, first, um, a very relevant um, uh, agrarian reform. Uh, secondly, uh, we have the inclusion of citizens uh, within the political process, like- for Inclusion instance, of what? 
of citizens of citizens, uh, citizens oh, I see. Uh, that couldn't vote, for instance, were included within the political process uh, during the 60s and the, uh, in 1970. Uh, so that have, sounds positive, right? Yeah, but this um, increased the level of uh, contestation and, and political parties competitions uh, uh, looking for this uh, support of citizens. And in a very unequal society, uh, we, like basically in the 1960s, Chile was basically a, a very agrarian uh, kind of uh, society with an economy based on uh, raw materials, basically uh, copper and uh, agrarian products. And then you have the Cold War. And the Cold War creates uh, this dichotomy, this polarization between the left and the right. And it was a competition. It was like a challenge between a, a socialist kind of society, the Socialist Party, the Communist Party were increasing, getting support, uh, popular support, uh, and the right wing were defending their own uh, interest and the capitalist system, of course. Uh, so we got in the 60s and in the 70s, very ideologically driven politics oh. that led to our a more uh, elite polarization in the late 60s and early 70s. So Allende won the election, actually with a minority, it was like the 40 something percent of the popular vote. The Congress agreed to support Allende, but the Christian Democrat, the center parties told Allende, okay, we support you, but you have to give us guarantees, inst constitutional guarantees that you will not touch, like, for instance, touch basic liberties within your government. And the agreed say, okay, they have, like, uh, signed a letter of guarantees in 1970, and he got... He was actually the first uh, president, socialist president, Marxist president in Latin America and I think in the world to be elected by popular vote to get the presidency. So all of this we, sounds positive so far, right? Yeah. Sounds to me, yeah. Democracy, I mean, election, and he gives guarantee of certain liberties to other parties, okay? Right. What happened is that during the military, I mean, during the government, we have several factors that increase the level of polarization. First, you have certain uh, political parties, the conservative party, the right-wing parties, they, uh, they try to uh, boycott the government. I mean, basically, they say we don't agree in this way, the Chilean way towards socialism. We don't agree with that. And they start plotting against uh, agenda's government. Uh, they received support of the, actually, they received support of the CIA. Uh, today, we can talk about that because now we have documents showing that it was like a complot against Allende. The economy was not running very good. 
the economy was a, a huge inflation that agenda couldn't control, increased level of unemployment, and you have social grievances, increasing level of social demands for, okay, now we have a socialist government, now we will have access to health, education, etc., etc., and he couldn't accomplish that. And, and, and he had basically in the first two years huge uh, economic problems. So you have the situation of not collaboration of political parties. The Christian Democracy starts saying, hey, you know, we will not support you. We are not in collision with you. But I thought uh, Allende gave him guarantees of certain liberties, right? Yeah, they, they, he gave certain liberties, but he responding to these social demands, for instance, agree on radicalizing agrarian reform. The first year, he said, okay, the agrarian reform, basically taking land of the landlord and give it to the people, ah. uh, radicalize that. Of course, the landlord were not very happy about that. Yeah, yeah. So the Christian Democrats say, okay, we used to support this, but not as fast as you go. You have to keep down and you have in the coalition of agendas government, a more radical sector saying, hey, we need to push more faster toward uh, a socialist model. You have to nationalize certain means of production. And he start taking these decisions. And uh, of course, this uh, create ma- more and more t- uh, conflict in the 1971 and 72. I, I see. Although other political parties decided to uh, support Allende initially, and he gave him certain guarantees. What happened, just from our limited this conversation here, is that the pace of reform was really fast. And also, Allende uh, had pressure from the more radical factions of his own political party to nationalize and increase the pace of these reforms. Am I, did I summarize that correctly, Dr. Fuentes? Totally correctly. And you have to add to this local national scenario, the international uh, scenario, because as uh, he took power in 1970, the U.S. took the support of this government. He uh, cut relationship uh, with Chile. The The U.S. cut relationship as in like Hold yes. back their embassy and all of that? Yes. Wow. Yes. Okay. Okay. Secondly, stop all economic support for Chile. So, and the reason is that the Congress actually, with a huge majority, including the right wing, nationalized copper mines. Uh, uh, Anaconda. Which is was, a huge export from Chile still to this day. Yeah. 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 Uh, Anaconda um, was an American company, owner of this company in Chuquicamata, in the north of Chile. And the Congress, in a new law in 1970, was one of the first um, measures that took uh, government, nationalized copper mines. The nationalization of copper mines created diplomatic conflict with the U.S., and the U.S. initiated, after that, boycott against Chile. So cut economic and political relations with Chile. So what happened is that Allende started looking for support abroad of other powers. And oh, I see. Started, Outside of the sphere of the United States. Yeah. And where he went to the no. 
USSR uh, and the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, USSR yeah. and the Eastern Bloc. Um, so and knock the door and what they say, what the Russians said, hey, you know, we have an expensive experiment that is called Cuba, Cuba, <laughs> and we cannot afford to have another experiment. So the support from, from Soviet Union toward Chile was not as big as the Cuban experiment. Oh, I see. So, so it was not enough for, for Chile to have certain, uh, because uh, Chile was basically an economy based on uh, extractivism. So we need goods, we need support for food and uh, elaborated uh, material because we were not industrialized. So in this context, the economy started running pretty bad. In 71 and 72, you have an, the inflation skyrocket, unemployment very badly. So basically by the end of 72, you have a huge economic crisis in Chile. No good in the supermarket, that kind of scenario. Yeah. If uh, I'm wondering, fast forwarding to our current time later in history, is 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 the 1973 CIA coup d'etat, CIA back coup d'etat in Chile, something that is that that lives in the conscious of the people of Chile? Today, yes, uh, but back in the 70s, it was a dispute. It, it was a, a debate about the role of the CIA in the coup d'etat. Of course, for the left-wing uh, sectors, one of the main reasons for the coup, it was the support of U.S. Uh, toward golpistas, we said, uh, here in Chile. But on the right-wing sector, the, the interpretation was, well, no, this is a more national national conflict. Yeah. Domestic, yeah. Less uh, relevant. Today, um, after actually the National Archive Project, which is a U.S. project that start releasing all the information. Declassifying about the, them, yes. Declassifying the, the information. We already know that um, the CIA support, like, for instance, some newspaper in Chile uh, to have like uh, news about like negative news on uh, the Chilean uh, process. I see. Um, support certain military officer to uh, do some attempt uh, against politicians. So you have a more clear evidence about the role of the U.S. I think it was relevant, but not it was a necessary but not sufficient condition for the military coup. I, I mean, see, other I see. Factors like the role of the military actually was pretty relevant in explaining the coup. Is Allende a popular national historical figure in Chile now? Yeah, he ha- actually historically he has grown uh, even more than the left uh, sector. I mean, for leftists, of course, is a hero, but uh, actually some moderate sectors also recognizing him relevant leader. Uh, actually, because Allende was not as radical as other sectors within his coalition. He was quite interesting. Yeah. Sector. He was not like pushing for, so he was trying to balance this more 
like uh, radical and moderate sector within the Unidad Popular back in the 70s. So that's, that's uh, a really interesting. History, and um, yeah. What I was going to say is that that's really interesting because in the U.S. we're going through that issue ourselves, where you have moderate and establishment party. Uh, members in both the Republican and Democratic Party, but then they have to deal with the radical factions of their own party right. on the right and on the left. Um, we'll be back after a short break to talk about the Pinochet era. Who are Ukrainians? Seriously, how much do we know about their language and religions, including American evangelism that has spread there since their independence from USSR? Or what do we know about Kiev and Rus? this historic Russian-Ukrainian state. Professor Warner explains all of this in Season 2, Episode 5. And who's Mr. Putin, the person? What is his personality like? Here's something that I bet you didn't know. That at one point, the KGB assessed a character flaw in Mr. Putin. Can you guess what it is? That he was prone to take unwarranted risks. Hmm. Professor Stoner of Stanford University talks about Mr. Putin in Season 2, Episode 9, which is our next episode. For your convenience, we have also organized these episodes about Ukraine into a podcast series. Just click the Post-Soviet States Podcast Series link in the detailed caption of this episode. And while there, check out my conversation with Professor Tutomlu, who talks about her homeland, Kazakhstan, after Russia sent troops there. Interestingly, Mr. Putin made a statement about Kazakhstan that is disturbingly similar to what he said about Ukraine, that Kazakhstan is an artificial state. Now, let's get back to my conversation with Professor Stone. Dr. Fuentes, what was Pinochet's political ideology? Okay, <laughs> that is interesting. We have uh, we have different faces of Pinochet. Different faces. Um, also, he changes. Okay. Uh, yeah, he was changing during his regime. I mean, remember that it was seventeen years. Uh huh. Yeah. The, the first the first five years since nineteen seventy three to nineteen seventy five and eight approximately he was a very um orthodox in terms of like economy uh thinking like the role of the state he he came from a military tradition so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They, they were very supportive of having a strong state uh, like the typical orthodox uh, like like a view of that the, the state was relevant, needs some control over the economy, etc. We are back in the 60s and 70s where the, the state played a relevant role. But he was a very uh, ideologically, uh, very strongly uh, against communists, uh, very anti-communist. Uh, so, and this is why, I mean, they... they they took all the national security ideology, uh, learned actually in the School of the Americas uh, and in the, the whole network in Latin America, looking at uh, the role of the communists within, within the state and within each of the countries. So uh, they create this, and he was learning in the 60s and 50s about the role of in the internal enemy. Uh, the idea that 
we also not only need to confront uh, external enemies, but also internal enemies like the communist uh, threat. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. he was very part of that um, school of thought. So when he came to power, basically uh, he uh, had a very hard fist uh, policy toward communists, particularly. And the U.S. Uh, liked that, I bet, right? The U.S. liked that. Yeah, yeah. The, the, okay. the first uh, years until Carter got to power. After <laughs> uh, Car- with Carter, Carter got to power in 76. Uh, and uh, you have attack, uh, an attempt, uh, a bomb attack in Washington that uh, took the life of a foreign minister of the socialist agenda, Orlando Letelier, in Washington, D.C. It was the first attack in uh, American soul against some civilian by the security forces of Pinochet. So he was Allende's former uh, foreign policy minister. I see. Yeah, yeah. So what happened is that the U.S. it start during the 70, 76, it start taking uh, distance from Pinochet. And so Pinochet was very anti-communist um, in, in a very un, unorthodox uh, policies toward the economy, but he started receiving the influence of what we call in Chile the Chicago Boys. The Chicago, Chicago Boys, Boys as an economy? Yeah. Oh, uh, interesting. Okay. So a group of economists from the Catholic University that were trained in Chicago back in the 60s came to Chile uh, back in the Catholic University and started saying, hey, you know, we need to change the the economic model and we need to liberalize this economy and trying to implement a new experiment that is, is a huge revolution, which is basically the idea of the neoliberal way of uh, development. Basically, that the market have to run every single aspect of the economy. Pension system, water, uh, reducing labor uh, relevance in the economy, the education need to be privatized. Uh, so like the idea of privatization... That's a huge transformation. Yeah. So... At the beginning, uh, Pinochet was not very um, supportive of this idea, but by the 78, 79, after a a relevant uh, economic crisis in Chile, you have um, inclusion of these economic uh, actors within the government and they start implementing this uh, policy. So they privatized the, the pension system. It was entirely privatized. Uh, they uh, allow education, the universities, private universities start running in the country. You had the privatization of water rights, which it was very unique in the world. Uh, and all this happened in two or three years. And you have the wow. constitution, uh, the new constitution in 1980. So between 79 and 83, you have a huge transformation in Chile, like going toward a model of a new economy based on market Mm -hmm. uh, relations uh, in the economy. And with this uh, new constitutional framework, 
that establish a, a strong uh, presidency with the uh, role of the military within uh, the political system. For instance, having appointed senators, appointed by the military, having in a mobility of the commander-in-chief, having Pinochet after he took, uh, I mean, he left office in 1990. So you have a, a new model of constitutionalism and you have a new model of the economic uh, relations in Chile. Dr. Fuentes, uh... I find that remarkable that these things did happen. So Pinochet takes power in 1973. He was immediately after Allende. He was part of the coup d'etat plot by introducing economic freedom. And you say he was uh, he was influenced by the Chicago Boys. He's essentially little by little reducing his own hold on power. It seems like he was literally setting the stage for democratization of Chile and his own eventual sort of exit, if you will. Was this a surprise that he actually permitted these things to happen, or did he not have a choice? I, I think that uh, you, you, your question is interesting because uh, during the 80s, I mean, after the implementation of these reforms, these reforms were, were implemented without contestation, without citizen contestation. You have repress, uh, repression, strong repression until 1980s, but... In 1982-83, you start having a huge economic crisis, a, a lot of inflation. Think that Chile had more than 50% of people living under poverty in, uh, in wow. that uh, period. So you start having the first social protest. I was actually entering to the university in 84. Were you part of the protesters? Yeah, we have like the first <laughs> protest uh, in Chile in 83, 84, and start political parties organizing, trying to push for um, uh, the democratization of Chile. So Pinochet faced exactly what you said, like the tension within the government of certain civilians that say, hey, you know, we need to start thinking about the transition to democracy. Let's think about the transition. And other sectors say, no way, uh, let's continue with uh, having control over the press, yeah, et, cetera, yeah. et cetera, because this uh, might have a very negative effect uh, against us. Yeah. So hardcore and like the soft liner and the hardcore liners within the government start debating about this and Social protests were very strong during the 83, 84, 85, were very strong. And uh, he started outlining the transition to democracy. It's, it's remarkable that this happened in many countries. Uh, this transition back to democracy doesn't actually happen. In the minute that we have left of this segment, uh, I'm just wondering what this uh, means. And I don't want to get too far deep in its history. Just a brief uh Explanation, please. What was Operation Condor? I've heard this before, and I don't know what it is. Operation Condor, it was an agreement, an informal agreement of security forces of Uruguay, Argentina, Chile, and Brazil, like the military uh -huh. regimes of this government, to, to repress all the opposi oppositors that were 
going back and forth from uh, those countries. For instance, some of the communists in Chile, uh, after the coup, ran and escaped toward Argentina. So in 76, oh, wow. you have a new military regime. So you have the connections, uh, uh, the created of this connection between the security forces of the military to identify those oppositors in different parts of Latin America and repress them. This is fascinating. So this is not a military alliance for sort of external uh, threats to this region. It's more of an unspoken, implicit sort of an informal military alliance to repress our own people and uh, cut the cords of this network of alliance between them. Uh, Fascinating. We'll be back after a short break to talk about Chile's post-Pinochet politics and protests. We'll be right back. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. And if you are, then why not treat us to a cup of coffee? That's right. For the price of a cup of coffee, you too can become a monthly supporter of the History Behind News podcast. We rely on your support to continue this program, to continue peeling the history behind our news. Supporting us is easy. Just click the support link in the detailed caption of this episode. And while you're there, check out the information about our guests and other attributions and links. And thank you. Dr. Fuentes, Since Pinochet, Chile seems to go back and forth between leftist and market-oriented politics parties. You alluded to that. Uh, So political parties from both sides and governments. Is this a fair assessment? Is the pendulum swinging widely or is it just sort of nudging left and right? Um, To some extent. Uh, I think that it's swinging in the last years, uh, but... Since 1990 up to 19, um, until uh, 2018, 2019, we have a like um, understanding on economic development and the economic uh, and the political institutions uh, within Chile. What we have is um, when you say we have an understanding, you mean the nation as a whole understood what yeah okay, uh, what, what we have is like first a, a coalition that took power in 1990 uh, after Pinochet that is called concertación which is a center left coalition of socialists and Christian Democrats basically coalition of parties that run the country during the whole 90s 1990s and Part of 2000s uh, with Michel Bachelet until Michel Bachelet in 2010. So this coalition, which was center left, it was a moderate group of parties that uh, implemented a very successful refor- economic reform. First, make a lot of agreement, a trade agreement. So basically deepened the, the idea of Chile as an export of, of basic uh, commodities, like increase commodity uh, model very strongly with signing agreement with China, with the of US, yeah. the European Union, uh, with several actors. So 
it was very successful. Economic, um, economically, Chile grew a lot, uh, increased uh, level of uh, economic growth from uh, per capita GDP income of like 5,000 uh, at the beginning of the 90s to 15,000 at the end of the um, 2020, around 2020. Wow. So it was a very successful uh, model. Secondly, reduced level of poverty very strongly from 50% to today is 14% or something like that. So we have a good macroeconomic indicators. What we didn't resolve is inequality. Inequality so, in what sense? Social classes, racial, what kind of inequality? Income inequality, basically. So the level of inequality in terms of income was pretty uh, the same with a little bit of reduction uh, given the, the social policies that the government apply. But still, you have one of the challenge is in income inequality. So, so you have this process. Then in 2009, uh, 2010, for the first time, a right-wing president took uh, office, uh, Presidente Sebastián Piñera. So you have, yeah, a swing, uh, like um, a pendulum, uh, going mm -hmm. back and forth from, since then, from a social democrat uh, kind of policies toward a right wing. You have, like, back and forth Piñera, then Bachelet, no, Bachelet, yeah. then Piñera, then we get back to Bachelet. Yeah. Then again, for the second time, Piñera. Okay. <laughs> uh, so we have like this uh, four uh, election mm -hmm. with two uh, main uh, leader. One of social democrat Bachelet. She she's a socialist, and Presidente Piñera, which is a liberal right wing, like the Republicans in 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 the U.S like a liberal Republican in the US. Uh, so, so what happened? Uh, and let's go to uh, the estallido social, 2019. Piñera was running for the second time, right wing uh, with uh, policies like typical free market, reducing taxes. You, 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 you know about that yeah, yeah, yeah. in the US. And a uh, but the people were very tired of first corruption, second abuses of business sector, and demanding uh, more social rights, uh, access to health and access to pension uh, reform, improving your life, basically, yeah. pension and health. And this government, the right-wing government, uh, was not very effective on that. It was a little bit condescending about demands of the social uh, actors and create conditions for this uh, huge, uh, amazing social protest in uh, 2019. I remember so, the, uh, the what the the spark that started that big protest was. Correct me if I'm wrong. Train uh, tickets or subway tickets? The increase? Yeah, it was an increase of mm, a very marginal um, increase in the trans in the metro uh, system, and the student um, like kids, uh, secondary students, 
uh, start running and say, you know, let's uh, um, go by free and start stepping um metro, turn styles and go go without paint and uh, and you have like two months of constant day by day uh protests in the street uh, claiming for better condition of basically pension reform health reform and uh, whatever you you think about social rights uh, that was in the streets two follow-up questions uh, dr fuentes first you said abuses of the business sector were, did you mean abuses by large business abuses of the people or abuses of the government of the business sector no uh, what happened is that you have during the 2000s you have several incidents of collusion between collusion uh, i see big companies uh, like for instance pharmaceuticals like uh -huh. the, the pharmacy that sell drugs uh, they the government and the um, investigator uh, detected that different branches get uh, together and uh, agree on the prices of pharmaceutical products one of the like symbolic uh, uh, collusions back in like 10 years ago it was about hygienic paper toilet paper like tissue papers, and that was very symbolic. I mean, you go to the bathroom and you get this situation of that they <laughs> got the collusion between two big companies that control the market. Chile have a very uh, strong concentration of markets in the pharmacies, in uh, paper production, in every single sector. So people were very upset of of how the business get richer and richer and richer big business and gets richer does chile have does chile have antitrust laws and do they enforce it they have uh, but it's very the, the problem is like for instance when you have these kind of scandals about big businesses they they don't go to jail like yeah. they fines are very irrelevant actually one of another scandal it was the support of a bank the penta group that support political campaigns illegally oh and wow they, okay and those that were discovered in the justice were like the penalties was going to ethic classes Ethics so, like, classes? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, that's, that a mild, the, that's a mild punishment, isn't it? Right. So they have to pay some fine, but going to ethic classes. So like they imagine this for a, you know, like a middle class person that go every day to uh, work three hours to get to the work and say, you know, I'm like, you know, working every day to have my kids educated and you are abusing of the system getting yeah. richer and 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 having ethic classes uh, as a penalty so it was a joke yeah uh, it is a joke it sounds ridiculous yeah so people were very tired of these situations and and and, and it was like the 2018 uh, social outbursts it was like an expression of anger uh -huh. against the political system, against the economic system, against the 
the the privileged people, you know. So it was not politically organized. Uh, it was not a like a social movement uh, organizing these people. It was people going to the streets, basically. Just outbursts of anger against uh, right. the sort of dis disparity, gross disparity between the different classes and how this systemically perpetuates, increase, you know, it, they stay right. in power, I see. Right. Um, one final question in this segment. You know, we talked about the pendulum swinging left and right in the last 10 years uh, between Pinera. Uh, right yeah. and uh, and bachelor yeah um how drastic was there was the differences of these parties was it was the fight much of a political hype or were there did they have drastically different visions for chile does my question make sense dr fuentes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. between these two not too much i mean <laughs> one was it was one of it was like a um, social democrat, like as we know in let's say Europe, uh, like the third wave uh, uh, of uh, in England or um, like the typical social democrat with more state, uh, yeah, more control yeah. over the market. But it was not like a socialist one that want to change the capitalist system. That, yeah. that was not uh, the debate. And Piñera was like a classic uh, right wing that support less taxes, uh, more market uh, investment, that kind of things. So um, it was not that drastic. Uh, it doesn't sound drastic. You're right. And what happened uh, additionally is that none of these government had the majority in at least one of the chambers. So they have some one of the chambers in Congress, but they didn't have like the both chambers. So oh, they had to compromise anyway. I see. I see. So they, um, they, they in general have moderated policies. For instance, uh, the pension reform. Uh, now we have a pension system uh, that uh, came from the Pinochet uh, period uh -huh. that basically is uh, is about uh, that is individual contribution depend on uh, what you give to the system is what the pension that you are getting only yeah, yeah. so the state doesn't support you the or didn't support you because today and there are some changes so uh, today are supporting the state but we have like an individual contribution uh, on the system of the pension system. So what was the result of that is that if you have a good salary, you have good pension. But if you have if you don't a have regular salary. or bad salary, you didn't have a pension. Uh, so that was the situation. So during until now, actually, uh, you haven't have the possibility of changing the pension system because you are tied in Congress. Uh, you have a, a strong right, you have a strong center-left, uh, but they didn't have enough po political, political power yeah. to change the situation. So basically, people were very frustrated about, hey, you know, we are talking about the pension reform system for the last 10 years, and we haven't had any changes. Uh, so why not you improve the pension system? 
Okay, so in this context, you have the 2020 and the constitute process, the convention, like the attempt to change the constitution and the election of Boric, which is uh, the first, let's say, more radical left that took power, but probably we will talk this. And he, the yeah, we are. And he's so young, right? Yeah. So let's take a break here. Stay with me and Dr. Fuentes as we get into the perspective. The History Behind News podcast is available on all your favorite podcast platforms. Of course, we love your reviews and ratings of our podcast, especially on Apple and Spotify. And remember, don't keep us to yourself. Tell a friend about the History Behind News podcast. Dr. Fuentes, in the last segment, you started speaking about uh, the Constitutional Convention in 2020. Uh, an overwhelming majority of people of Chile voted in favor of a new constitution. But then, just a couple of months ago, in September 2022, they rejected that new constitution. What happened? Okay, first you have uh, this um, uh, situation that we already talked about, like this frustration uh, of the citizens. So basically, uh, the citizens went to the elections, 21 actually, given the pandemic. Uh, it, it was uh, run in 21 and uh, elected a convention, like democratic. So I'm sorry, because of the pandemic, the elections were delayed for a year? Yeah, they were okay. delayed for basically a year. Okay. And they elected, a, okay, the political parties agree on having this a convention to write a new constitution in one year. Okay. Uh, and they changed the rules of electing this representative. It was the same number of the Chamber of Deputies, 155 people, but uh, they allow first list of independents, uh, which is not allowed in the Congress. In Congress is list of parties. Uh, and secondly, they allow uh, reserved seats for indigenous people. So basically, given so, the... So if I may interrupt you, please, Dr. Fuentes, when you say independence, you mean these were not people that were members of Congress. They, they didn't belong to, they were not active in a political party. They were independent of politics. Independent from political parties. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So they come, okay, so that's a new addition and the indigenous people are a new addition that weren't right. contemplated originally in 2020 right. when people voted to have the constitutional revised. Right. Interesting. Okay, please. So basically the convention representative that were elected were very different from the traditional political spectrum. First, wow. um, the right wing in Congress usually get 44, 45% of the vote. In the convention got only 24%. So it reduces very dramatically. Yeah, so yeah, the right wing yeah. were underrepresented. The second is that political, traditional political parties were not part, a relevant part of the convention. 67% of the convention were independent. 
non-politically wow. affiliated. And the indigenous people got 13% of convention. So the scenery of the convention, like uh, demographically, were very different from the traditional political system. Yeah, more independent, uh, people, less privileged, uh, privileged people, actually with parity uh, of women and men. So convention itself were much more, uh, let's say, leftist or progressive than the uh, traditional uh, political system in Chile. Wow. Dr. Fuentes, I have a technical question for you, which actually may be quite important. How are the independents chosen? Were they uh, professors? Were they, um, uh, you know, known people to society, to people? Or Yeah, that, that, that was the surprise, because yeah. uh, usually in election, you need to know a little bit, uh, you know, about the territory. <laughs> exactly. So they uh, what what was interesting is that locally, I mean, you have to have a district, for instance, and locally, uh, like the leader of like you know grassroots organization, mm -hmm. uh, that kind of uh, leaders like lawyers that were working in some communities, etc. They get organized, and people support them and not support the traditional political parties. The people at that moment were very tired of traditional political parties oh, wow. and they start supporting new people with the hope that the new people would be wiser, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. clever. And so, so you get this uh, elected convention with totally uh, people from uh, not the establishment, like unknown people that get to power. And they um, they said, okay, our mandate is to have like my ideas put forward in this new constitution. Yeah, and the ideas were pretty progressive and more progressive than the <laughs> average uh, Chilean. So after one year, and the other difference from like what happened at the beginning and at the end is that the a ratificatory uh, plebiscite that was uh -huh. run in, in July this year was with mandatory vote. The initial process, it was with voluntary vote. So with voluntary vote, people like around 50% of the people went to uh, vote. With mandatory vote, 85% of the people went to vote. So a huge difference of those people that didn't vote. 2020 for the convention. No. Mandatory no. vote. That's really interesting. Uh, have you have you had mandatory vote in the past before this? Yeah, we have, we have had uh, until 2012. Uh, after 2012, they uh, modified the law and make it uh, voluntary. So basically, uh, the politically mobilized people uh, were more uh, keen to vote in a presidential election and for the convention and yeah. for the first plebiscite. But uh, for the ratificatory uh, plebiscite, uh, what happened is that uh, uh, first 
actually, for the approval of the new constitution, vote more people than for Boric. For Boric, uh, 4,600,000 vote for for Boric and uh, 4.8 million vote for the approval of the convention. But that was 38% of the huge uh, amount of people 8 million of people that went to reject the proposal. So more people voted for the convention of uh, changing the constitution than they did for the president. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. But it was not enough uh, because actually the rejection campaign was very effective because basically they said, hey, you know, you uh, basically the rejection campaign took the fear of the people. For Capitalized instance. on it. Yeah. Yeah, like for instance, private property. Hey, you know, uh, this new constitution is not defending your private property. The property about your pension uh, system. The the indigenous rights, for instance. Hey, you know, they people, these people will get collective rights and lands will be under threat. The, the idea of nationhood. Yeah. And, you know, this idea of plurinationalistic uh, way of thinking of the state uh, will divide us. It's not Chile is one nation. It's not we are not a set of several nations with the indigenous. Yeah. So we are only one nation. So uh, the conservative um, argument was very effective uh, and mobilized uh, a lot of people. Yeah. You talked about private property and pension and couple of segments of our conversation and then uh, you mentioned Boric now and in the previous section a young uh, president who is um, sort of from the left uh, perhaps radical left which brings me to my last question is the whole of South America now turning left Lula da Silva is back Um, this is so different than seven eight years ago right yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, from um, actually a political scientist were saying, hey, you know, what is going on in, in the election is that it's winning who is against the, the who is in power, basically. Uh, oh, those, so okay. We're going back and forth the opposition to uh, supporting the opposition, basically. So, yes, to some extent, uh, I mean, uh, from a, in, in a presidential system, you have to look at first the president, like who is the president, and secondly, whether this president has the support in Congress. And you know about that because yeah, of the of course. midterm We're going election. Yeah. So if you see the map of a president in Latin America, you see a very red map. But if you see red in terms of like lefty uh, map, uh, most of Latin America today is run by a lefty uh, a president. But if you see the Congress, you don't see that. You see uh, I see. president with minority in uh, Peru, in Chile, in Brazil, uh, in uh, Mexico. Uh, so uh, you don't see uh, in Ecuador as well. So you don't see uh, a president that has, have a strong support uh, by Congress. Uh, Lula is uh, will face that very strongly because the bolsonaristas, the radical uh, right, 
is controlling Congress. Yeah, in, yeah. Chile, uh, in Chile, the coalition of uh, Boric, uh, we don't have the, the majority. So uh, it's very uh, hard for this go uh, government, for this president to pass laws and they have to compromise. And they have like a, a, a more uh, radical view of society. I mean, Boric have to shift policies very quickly in this eight months that he he had been in power. So uh, they will face a lot of opposition. So from a distance, it looks like all of South America is turning, uh, shifting left, but that's not really the case because the uh, government itself, uh, many bicameral uh, legislative systems that they have, and perhaps even courts still are, are uh, institutions that the president, the executive power has to contend with. Um, if you wanted our audience to remember just one point about Chile's future, what would that be? Oof. Today we are facing debate about whether a new constituent process uh, will begin. Uh, they are today uh, negotiating, Another one. Yeah, negotiating okay. a more party control kind of process. But what is underlying this uh, is that uh, an author, uh, Arturo Valenzuela and Pamela Constable, in a, in a very good book uh, just published after the coup, the military coup, they said the, the title of this book is Chile, a Nation of Enemies. Um, <laughs> Chile, I, a Nation of Enemies. Okay. Yeah, it's a very good book about the coup uh, and why uh, this happened. And I think that after actually next year is the 50th anniversary of the, the military coup. And we haven't resolved these divisions, uh, or these past divisions. These have been wow. part of the, the, the political system for 50 years. We haven't solved that. And, and I think that the idea of having a new constitution, like creating a new pact, is the idea of uh, solving the conflict with the past, uh, solving the conflict yeah, with the Pinochet yeah. constitution, uh, solving the conflict of creating this new agreement, this social agreement about how we can um, socialize, how we can have a social agreement. And I think that uh, what is going on in Chile is that we have an elite uh, political system that have not been able to solve this, have not been able to agree upon basic ideas on how to live together. I hope uh, the new constitutional process goes through smoothly and resolves some of these. And finally, the question of, you know, and, uh, this, this, this nation of enemies uh, is put aside and, and uh, it works out for everyone. Uh, Dr. Fuentes, thank you so much for educating me and our listeners. And to our listeners, if you know of any history that could provide more perspective from the past on this subject, please share it with us and tell us what's your perspective. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. Thank you very much. The opinions and statements of our guests are their own. We neither agree nor disagree with them. We're only interested in the perspective they provide through history. At History Behind News, we're honored that our guests share their expertise with us, most of which are based on years of scholarship and research, 
and we provide links to their projects and publications for your benefit to review them if you wish. Otherwise, we're not affiliated with our guests. We just think they teach us pretty cool history, the history behind our news. Also, unless we explicitly inform you, we're not affiliated with any institutions, including Amazon, for which book links are shared here from time to time for your convenience. Finally, as a reminder, we don't do news here at History Behind News. We peel the news for the history behind it. And our mission is not to provide a complete account and analysis of the past. Rather, is to highlight some issues and incidents in our history that may poke and prod your discerning minds into seeking some perspective for our news. And if you disagree with our take on history, well then, it means we've succeeded in getting you to think about the history behind news. And of course, share your thoughts with me by leaving your comments on Twitter or sending an email to Adele at historybehindnews.com. I love to hear from you. I love to learn from you. Until next time, this is Adele with History Behind News, a history podcast for our news.